All right, thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes. At the final hour of the show, we're in conversation with Dr. Erin Mozoaledi, who is on the line. Uh, Minister Mozoaledi, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Good morning, Casey. Good morning to the listeners. And thank you very much, Casey, for having me. Of course, our conversation will center on a number of uh, different things that we have seen coming out of the department. It's also an opportunity to clarify really what the position of government is when it comes to some of the issues that have been raised when it comes to uh, migration challenges, the need, let's say, even to develop uh, quotas of sorts. And I know some of it falls within your department, some of it doesn't, but we'll certainly try and cover as as much ground as we can. Just reflecting then on a piece that you penned for the City Press, looking at what has been largely described as Afrophobia, sometimes xenophobic violence against non-nationals in this country. And your view, Minister Mazzoledi, is that this is not xenophobia that we are witnessing, but rather um, really a a scramble and a fight for resources in this country. Absolutely, Casey. I I hold that view very strongly. And you are aware that I I actually give facts there. And I believe those people who just cry xenophobia are just lazy to think. It's, it's a lazy analysis of a very complex situation. First of all, Casey, I try to show that in the 80s, when 80% of the gold of the world was produced by South Africa, there were ample jobs in the country. We had people from as far as Malawi, Mozambique, even here near Lesotho, all coming to our minds, settling in our townships, and many of them have settled, and there's never been any problems. Even during the time of apartheid, when tribalism was very rife, when the apartheid government was dividing people into tribes and races and all that, even during that time, people used to come from all over uh, the continent and the region to come and work here, and there was no problem. That's the first thing I've mentioned. The second thing, Casey, is that in South Africa, as you know, we have got foreign missionaries all over. You can go to our hospitals. I know it because I was in health. I used to sign the, the, the what you call, I, I used to, to deal with uh, uh, the permits, I mean, uh, with the Department of Home Affairs then when I was in health, of doctors who come here. Very, very large number of Congolese doctors who are here in our country. You go to our universities. You, you find lecturers, even some of them are hating the institution. You go to our finance institution in the country, lots of them. You go to our SOEs, less of them. You hardly hear any memo or any attack against them. So, so this makes me to conclude that the, the, and then you go to, 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 to the townships where there's pasta shops and, you know, uh, people working in, in restaurants and all that. That's where the war is. It's a war of the poor who are fighting for meager resources. Remember, Casey, there's internal migration in South Africa. There are people who are moving from rural areas. I mean, if you check the census now compared to when we went into democracy in 1994, the population of Rauteng has almost doubled, whereas the population of uh, and the population of Western Cape is also doubling, whereas the population of province like Limpopo and Eastern Cape are depleting because people are moving from those rural areas 
into the cities. And when they arrived there, they found migrants from other parts of the world, all of them unskilled, scrambling for jobs, housing, space, and, and many other social amenities. And that's where the battle is. So you can't say it's xenophobia. It's a battle for resources by the poor, and they are scrambling with each other. When you talk about the context under which this is happening, and it's interesting because you describe the situation under the apartheid area where you say South Africa's borders were highly secured. And later on, you speak about the fact that, uh, or, or rather on different platforms, you've spoken about the fact that right now we don't know what the number of undocumented migrants in, in, in this country is. And that is really at the heart of, 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 the, of the issue, is that can we make a fair comparison between the situation we're watching today versus what was here 30 years ago, 35 years ago, if the migration challenges we're dealing with were not the same? If you can raise your voice a little bit, I don't know whether it's my gadget, but I'm really struggling to hear you. I've tried to raise the volume on my gadget. I don't know if there's anything. I think it might be. I think it might be an issue on your side, um, Minister Mazzoledi. But but I was asking you about the context. So effectively, you're comparing where we are today with the situation we had. 30, maybe even 35-odd years ago. And I'm saying that you describe the situation under apartheid where we have highly secured borders. That is not the case today, to the extent that even you as a minister can say that we cannot account for the number of undocumented migrants that are within the country's borders. So the situation then on the ground for ordinary people has changed. And and I'm asking if we can be making a comparison about today's situation versus what it was 30-odd years ago. Well, Casey, remember that during apartheid, and, and I'm not sure why you mentioned only 30 years ago or 35 years ago when things were a little bit uh, better. Uh, the, the situation I mentioned is more than 40 years, by the way. Okay. Uh, yes. Now, <clears throat> during that time, the borders were very strongly secured with electric fences, with the army. Even white farmers who were not in the army were given weapons and given farms to guard the borders because they were guarding the borders against freedom fighters who were coming to the country to fight apartheid. That's why the borders were so fortified. And Africa was a pariah of the world. Nobody was coming here. If you remember, there was nothing called a refugee. At any rate, the, the United Nations Convention of 1951 on refugees, uh, which was ratified by countries from 1967. South Africa only ratified it in 1996, two years after democracy. That year, people can start coming. Now, now, we moved from being a pariah of the world to a dying of the world. And of course, we became a magnet for people all over the continent and the Far East and other parts of the world to, to come here. Now, during that period, uh, there was less focus on borders. If you remember, Madiba himself uh, instructed that the electric fence on which people were hanging and dying 
when they were running away from the Ranamo in Mozambique, he instructed that it be removed. So, so there was no focus on our borders because we thought we are now one world, we are one continent, and there's nothing wrong. And remember, Casey, the Refugee Act of 1998, which domesticated the convention, the United Nations Convention, which domesticated it, at the time it was enacted by Parliament, Africa was fast democratizing. Countries that never knew what an election is were now calling for elections. Countries where many rulers were ruling forever were now making quarters uh, that, I mean, they, they were making terms that you can rule only for one term and all that. Countries that were known for coups, uh, a, a law was made that if, if you, you stage a coup, you'll never be recognized. So there was a lot of democratization. And the act was enacted in that atmosphere and environment. And the, the, the refugee uh, 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 design, the refugee architecture, was also designed to welcome very few people who are running away because it was not envisaged that something uh, like what we are seeing now will happen. And that's exactly why I was comparing the situation. The people who were coming here to work in the mines, you can't work in the mines illegally. They were coming in and they were recorded and their fingerprints were taken, some of which are still there even in home affairs, that these people came. Now, we keep on being blamed for not knowing the number of undocumented people. Perhaps, uh, <laughs> Casey, you must give me just about two minutes to explain the situation about documentation, what we mean. Because I realize we're talking from different planets when we talk documentation. According to the United Nations uh, Convention of 1951, you are allowed to run from your country to the next country without any document whatsoever, because it's an emergency, you are running away. If there is a natural disaster in your country, things like volcanoes, floods, fires, uh, earthquakes, etc., you are allowed. Number two, if there is war in your country, like it's happening now in Ukraine, if there is war, you are allowed. Number three, if you as an individual or your family are persecuted uh, for four things, either for political activities and beliefs, for traditional activities or beliefs, for your religious activities and beliefs, or for your sexual orientation, then you are about to run. But it goes further to say, when you are, now, let's come back home here. When you arrive at the border, and announce yourself that I'm an asylum seeker, I'm running away from my country, and mention those facts. You are given what is called a section, uh, a, a, a section uh, five, I mean, what you call a, a section 23 uh, permit. A section 23 permit is under the Immigration Act that you enter the country, and, the, uh, and anybody who meets you in terms of the law must not stop you, even if you are coming with no documentation at all you are given that Section 23 permit. That is documentation already at entry. And then it says provided, you are given that document provided within five days you appear at the nearest refugee reception center. Now we have got five of those centers in South Africa, one in Musina, the other one, the biggest one, the Desmond Duty here in Marabastad, one in Cape Town, one in Quebeca, one in Deben. And it says within five days arrive there and announce yourself. When you arrive there, you get documented for the second time. Your photo is taken, your fingerprints are taken, 
and uh, you are given now a Section 22 permit. That, that one is now under the Refugee Act, no longer under the Immigration Act, like when you enter at the border. Then that one, the Section 22, says you are now a, a officially an asylum seeker, and uh, you can move around the country, but uh, you are given only three to six months to apply to be a refugee, and uh, you are going to be to assessed uh, in terms of the Refugee, I mean the Refugee Act of 1998 and the United Nations Convention of 1951, whether you indeed qualify as a refugee or not. And then that Section 22 permit is renewable. You renew it, and we even open that you can renew it online. You don't have to go there. People used to go there to the refugee center where they have to uh, uh, interact with the staff, and sometimes they couldn't finish them because there were many. We even open special kiosk where you just move to a kiosk there and renew, and then we open it online. Then once you get successful, you then get a Section 24 permit. That once you are under uh, 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 international protection, you even get a special ID because you are here under international protection in South Africa. That is reviewed by the refugee uh, uh, a committee called CRA. Uh, which is standing committee on refugee affairs. It's reviewed every four hours whether the reasons that brought you here in South Africa are still valid or not. Now, all that is documentation case. Then the other people come via the Immigration Act of 2002, and there are various ways in which they come. Some have got a permanent residence permit. Others is a corporate visa permit. Sometimes we call them visas. Others is a spousal visa or a dependent visa. Others is a study visa, others is a work visa, others is a business visa. All those, we know their numbers because they are documented, they've been given those documents. Now, the people you are talking about who you say are undocumented, they come in a clandestine manner, they don't appear in any refugee center or anything, they don't go anywhere. I mean, they don't appear anywhere, they don't report themselves at the police station, whereas when you arrive in a country, which is not yours, the first thing you do is to report yourself to the authorities and say, I'm here, so that they must know about your presence. Now, those don't do that. Now, in 2008, uh, when the refugee reception centers were overrun by people running away from Zimbabwe specifically, they were given a special permit, what you call a Zimbabwe special dispensation, which is now a point of argument now. And there is also special dispensation. But only a fraction of them came forward to collect that. I even, I mean, to collect those documents. I even know for Lesotho. Uh, I know it because when it expired, we were about to renew it. There were 92,000 people who came forward to take that permit, which, by the way, is a documentation. The minister of Home Affairs in Lesotho phoned me and said, no, 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 no. Uh, minister, uh, don't renew for 92,000. Renew for 250,000. I said, no, but there are only 92,000 Basotho who took this documentation. He said, no, no, no. I know there are much, much more than that. The others did not come. They were underground. They refused to come to be documented because they thought it's a ruse for you to send them back home. So they, they didn't come to be documented. So, so we, we have got people who deliberately don't want to be documented, who go underground and hide. So how can we know about them? We know about them when they are caught by immigration officers, sent to Lindela Repatriation Center, and then get deported to their country. That's, then, that's the only time we know that there were so many illegal people. 
And before COVID, we used to deport about uh, 15 to 20,000 illegal immigrants after they've gone through the legal system because we don't do it illegally. And only then, because you, you know about them, you fingerprint them, you take your photos, you do all that, then they got documented. But the majority who don't come in touch with immigration officials will never know about them. Even that South Africa is just counting them by guesswork. There are many other studies, Casey, which says they are between the, the state South Africa, say, 3.5 million undocumented people. Mm. And that's put it at 5 million. Yeah. Before we get into the issues of, of the permit um, minister and, 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 you know, the expiration and how it is that government is going to be dealing with that, I want us to reflect on how it is that these individuals have managed to gain access to the country in the first place. Because it's not just happening, like you said, at the Zimbabwean border, but even where the Lesotho border is is concerned. So, so I want to know from you, from government side, what have you identified as the weaknesses in the way in which government is doing its work that has enabled the situation to be what it is. Because, you know, it's not like our borders are necessarily just open. We have a challenge of porous borders. And what are the interventions there and the big challenges there that have allowed the situation to be what it is? I'll give you an opportunity to respond in a moment. It's 11.30. Let me head on over to the news desk with Luyanda Maume. We continue the conversation with Minister Eron Mozualedi. We're talking about just the multiplicity of issues that face South Africa, particularly where migration is concerned. Uh, so, uh, sorry for that. I'll also be taking your calls on 011-714-2006. Uh, that's the number to dial to get in touch with us uh, on the WhatsApp line 0614-104-107. So, Minister, I was talking about the challenges and oftentimes what's also been described as as the failures of of government when it comes to border control because we know that even when it comes to this issue of uh, the ZDP, the Zimbabwean exemption permit uh, that was set to expire at the end of December, while that policy was under question, people were still able to come in and out of the border through the assistance of officials of government at the borders who effectively ask for a bribe and let people in and out? Casey, you have asked many questions, and I think let's divide them into two parts. The the first thing you are asking uh, is is how do do people just come in, into the country, through the borders? Now, uh, quite a number of times people make a mistake uh, 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 because I, I do listen to them, and when they say borders, they mean the border gate. And maybe let me explain. The South African land border is 4,772 kilometers in length throughout the, the, the whole length of our border with our neighbors. The biggest segment is between us and Lesotho. I mean, sorry, us and Botswana at 1,500 kilometers. We don't have a lot of problems there. Uh, and it goes on and on. Uh, Lesotho, Namibia, those are the biggest. The smallest segments of the, those kilometers I've mentioned, the smallest of them all is between us and Zimbabwe. 
than between us and, 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 and Mozambique. Now, <clears throat> that is the borderline. Now, in some areas, there's a natural border, like a big mountain or a river, uh, which needs to be crossed. In some others, there is nothing. We just know the line is here. It appears on the map. But when you walk there, there's virtually nothing that separates the two countries. And I've told you in the past, they were separated by electric fences, which, which were since uh, 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 removed. Now, that's the borderline. Now, the sea, the sea border, I, I haven't mentioned, it's more than 3,000 kilometers. Let's leave that aside. Then you have got gates of entry. That means official, we call them ports of entry, official gates through which a person must come through uh, to another country. That's where immigration officials are, SARS officials, agriculture, health, etc. They, they stop at those gate, uh, border gates. Now, there are 53 of them on the land. And, and people only know Big Bridge, Limpopo, and Maseru. I mean, uh, uh, Libombo. Libombo and Maseru. Big Bridge in Musina, Libombo and Maseru. Copfontaine in Ziras. They don't know the others, but the total is 53. That's where you can come into South Africa from neighboring countries and find officials, and you get documented if you go through there. Then you have got 11 international airports. Then you have got eight seaports. Now, what happens is this, Katie, when you say there was no focus on the borders, because I've already alluded to that, there was no focus on the borders after democracy, because we never imagined the situation that we face with now. That will happen. Uh, whereas during the apartheid time, I told you, every inch, there was a, an army there, there was a soldier, there was a, a farmer there with weapons, etc., etc. Now, that's, that's no longer the case. So these people who are coming in do not necessarily come through the 53 gates of entry, which I've mentioned. No, many of them just come and, and, and cross the border illegally. Where there's a small fence, uh, they just scramble through it. It's, it's not a big problem. And they come in illegally. Now, this was picked up by NICOC. NICOC is the coordinating structure of all the intelligence uh, services in the country. The st state security agency the military intelligence, crime intelligence, etc., they come together under NICOC. NICOC, in their estimates, may realize that, no, there is a problem of the borders, and they came with a concept of border management authority that, no, we can't just leave the borders like that. They need to be managed. The army was there, by the way, Casey. It was never removed. But they were not regarding themselves as just stopping people to come. They regarded themselves as defending the sovereignty of South Africa. And South Africa is no longer at war with its neighbors, unlike during apartheid when there was perpetual war. They didn't regard themselves as war, so they were waiting there for an invading army, not for a, a woman carrying a baby trying to jump over the border illegally, as, as it is now. So so they were not doing that. Then the, the defense estimate said no. The, 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 the what you call intelligence estimate said no. We need a special authority who will deal with the borders. Now Parliament started uh, with the enacting an act, the Border Management Authority Act, or what we call BMA. Unfortunately, Casey, it took 10 years, and yes, that's the biggest weakness. It took 10 years because there was no general agreement in Parliament on how borders need to be managed. Uh, in 2017, I remember that act got stuck in the NCOP. Uh, when when I became Minister of Home Affairs and get informed about it being stuck, I worked with the Minister of Finance, 
uh, Mr. Titumbuini to work on amendments to get it unstuck. That's why it was passed. And it was passed now. The Border Management Authority exists. In November last year, we appointed the commissioner, who is at the same level with the commissioner of police. In December, we then appointed two deputy commissioners, one for operations, one for corporate services. In essence, they all start working in essence at the 1st of January, which means uh, 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 there are about 10 weeks uh, or so on the job, if I'm calculating my months and weeks very well. Now, one of the first things they'll do was to populate that structure. On Monday last week, it was a closing date for, for what we call border guards. The first group of people who are now going to actively man the borderline, the one I've mentioned, not the border gates, because there we have got immigration officials, the borderline as it is. And, and, and we are starting with the first 200. Now, what we have done, that 4,772 kilometers, we divided it into 10 segments and checked which segments are problematic. I've just given you the biggest segment. as 1,500 between us and Botswana. The other segment is about 900 kilometers between us and Namibia. Those segments have got no problem altogether. The third biggest segment is between us and, and Lesotho because we have surrounded it. But Lesotho is always giving a special deal because they are within our time. We can't act with on them like we act, act on other people because they only have a life. Because for them to do anything, they must just go through South Africa, whichever, whether they look east, west, etc. Whether they go to Botswana or whether they go to Europe, they can't do it without going through South Africa. So that one is not a big problem. The biggest problem are four segments which we have identified in the north and the east. Between us and Zimbabwe, between us and Mozambique, and to an extent, some small segment between us and Eswatini. Those segments, we have calculated the kilometers, and the first group of, of, of this border uh, 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 guards is going to be staged in those segments. For instance, the 76-kilometer segment in the area called Mangusim KZN. That's where stolen cars cross into Mozambique, stolen cars from South Africa. So we are also looking very closely at that segment. So that, that's where we are, Casey. Minister, it's still I, I I hear the issue that you've raised about the general borderline, but where you have the ports of entry, that is also where we are seeing significant problems. And I've just told you about what was happening just two months ago. For for all we know, it still continues to happen, where officials, immigration officials at the border ports and are asking and are taking bribes to let people freely into the country. That's what we've been told on this very platform. People have called in to tell us about their experiences at the border post. No, that's true. That's true. But I was mentioning the majority of people who cross illegally through the borderline. Now let's go to the port of entry. I agree with you. I'm not denying that. We actually know it. And if you remember, we've arrested some of them. It is one of the reasons why, Casey, the Department of Home Affairs is the only government department that has got a whole branch. You are aware that the government uh, is divided into branches. Firstly, there's a director general in, 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 the, in every government department. From there, there are people who call deputy director general. Each one of them is heading a branch. They are second in charge in other ways. Now, in Home Affairs, 
We have got the whole branch headed by a deputy director general, which is called counter-corruption. And it's looking at internal corruption by our own people at the borders, in the home affairs offices. Katie, uh, corruption in home affairs is very high. I'm not going to hide that. Uh, and, and I'm sure you are aware there's an article I issued where somebody was saying in order to end it, I, I might have to fire two-thirds of the staff and say, if that is the case, so be it. I think it was an article in City Press where I was interviewed. I said, so be it. So it is true. And we arrest them. You may remember that uh, at the end of last year, I went to the Bombo border post with the newly elected uh, commissioners and the deputy minister, where we arrested six people. Six of them were home affairs immigration officials. One was a police officer from South African police service. The other was a Mozambican uh, hawker who was running the scheme. They were doing exactly what we were saying. And we have arrested them. They are on trial now. Uh, we, are, we are busy investigating. I can't disclose to you uh, in the other border post. And uh, we do arrest people quite often who do that. It's only that maybe the arrests were not very highly publicized. But yes, I agree with you. It is true. What the people told you there is what we know. And, and Casey, we, we ask them not only to tell you in the media, but also to tip us because our counter-corruption really depends very largely on tip-off. We get tipped off because they are the ones who see what's happening because they are there. They are the, our nearest eyes there, and these tips off help us. So it is true there are people who came through uh, uh, the borderline, where, which is not meant, but there are those who went through the border gate through corruption. And part of the job of the Border Management Authority uh, is to work together with the counter-corruption unit to make sure that we sniff out people, arrest them, and fire them. I want to take a couple of calls. Um, let me begin in Durban. Muzi, good morning. Good morning, absolutely. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Muzi. Go for it. Yes. Uh, to the minister. Uh, minister, my, my question is, how can a public assist you as a minister in pointing up these people who are illegal immigrants? Because... Uh, now it came to a point where it looked like people are taking the law into a, into their own hands. Meanwhile, people have been reporting these things for years now. Mm-hmm. Have been reporting these things and these people to the police. People, uh, police are doing nothing. They've been reporting to to the department. Department is look like them themselves. They are all overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. They always telling that we are planning to do one, two, and three, but they don't tell you at that time when you report what they are doing today. As a minister, what are you doing today to stop these things or to 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 assist South Africans from uh, being frustrated by these people? Because where we are staying in the location in Lazi, Deben, Point Road, I'm sure the minister he came to Deben once at one point in, in time. He will never walk in Point Road. He will never ask it yourself. If I can tell you, to just take a walk in Point Road by yourself. You will never do it. You will be afraid the way. The way these these illegal immigrants they speak to you, the way they conduct themselves, they're owning the place. You feel like as a, a, a stranger in your in your in your own country, in your own backyard. Now, what what is the the, the question is what is the the, the minister's um, uh, advice to the members of the public? Uh, what do we do when we see 
And please don't tell us to report it to the police. Okay. Tell us what, what we need to do when we know that uh, a dead house at this place, people that are staying there, they are undocumented. All right, because we, we can't we can take it to the police, obviously, for the obvious reason. Begitwele knows that he can't help us. Now, what can we do? And uh, uh, the, the second question now, what is his advice to the people like his own comrades, uh, like Snooki Zikalala, whom when people are frustrated and are showing their frustration, he turn around now and rebuke these people like the Operation Tujur and said these people must go to school and study rather than uh, 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 focusing uh, uh, their energy to, to the illegal immigrants. Because Operation Tujura, my understanding, it, they are dealing with illegal immigrants, not not the foreign nationals. Now, what is his advice to the people like Kizigalala uh, so that he do not make people more angrier right. uh, because he will make the situation uh, get out of hand. Thanks very much. Muzi, let's leave it there. I'm going to ask the rest of our callers to try and keep it as short as possible for me. Evan in Mayerton, good morning. Morning, how are you, Kevin? I'm well, thanks. Go for it. I'm fine. Uh, me, I'm calling from Mayerton. Uh, uh, I'm a Zimbabwean national, right? So I was using a HEP permit all along. Mm. So I have got my business here in South Africa as registered and paying tax. I have got workers. So now uh, I want to ask the minister about the five million because I was hoping to migrate from ZEP to business permits, but I already have a business. So do I have to go back to Zimbabwe and start reapplying all the business or what should I do? Because I don't have the five million. Okay. All right, Evan. That is, yeah. that is my question to the Minister of Home Affairs. All right. Thanks for that question, Casey, I Evan. I didn't hear him. Thank you. Casey. Yes. I didn't hear the gentleman from there. So, I heard Muzi yes. from KZN. So, so he was saying that he is uh, from Zimbabwe. He's he was operating under the ZEP permit, and he has a business in South Africa. And he's asking under the new regulation, does it mean that he'll have to go back home and reapply in order to be considered for the business permit? But he will not be able to meet the five million threshold. So he's asking, what should somebody like him do? Let me go to Palisa in Katlehong. Palisa, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Palisa. Go for it. Um, well, thanks. Um, with my regard, it's um, about ID duplication. I do believe that it is an issue that is at Home Affairs because for me, for the past six years, I've been running up and down in Home Affairs um, offices only to be told that my fingerprints have disappeared from the system. I don't know how, but somebody else is using my identity somewhere out there and they, they've been unable for six years to trace that. So I just want to find out from the minister what other points of contact except our local offices can we go to because we are not getting help there and it seems that the corruption is actually there because um, they issue out our IDs to other people without our knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this thing has really affected me because now I have a son and I can't register him because now my fingerprints are not in the system so I don't know where I belong. I'm a South African citizen. I have an ID book but I can't use it anyway. I'm currently employed but should I want to venture out and find another job? I can't and this person is opening accounts in my name and it's just it's frustrating my life. 
Palisa, I can only imagine uh, what mm. the situation has, has the, the position that the situation has has left you in. Thanks for calling in. We'll get the minister to respond to that. Aisha and Uppington, good morning. Good morning to the minister. Minister, I appreciate your 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 honesty. The ANC government has failed South Africans. It is unexcusable that 40 years later you want to tell me about putting together a border management. One. Two, telling me that you signed 1996 with the United Nations, South Africa can withdraw from that. Three, you people let all these people flood our, our country, now you must get rid of them. Thank you, Cathy. All right, Aisha, let me go to David in Ekuruleni. Good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm well, thank you, David. I'm okay. Yes, uh, your first question, I think it was about the the issue of xenophobia, that as South Africans, xenophobia towards uh, the non-South Africans. Then the minister explained about the border. So I think the minister made it easy for us and to understand even better. So therefore, I think in this regard, it makes it clear that from now on, I don't think we should hear people again saying South Africans are xenophobic. Because it, 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 these two things don't, don't tally, don't correlate. That if you complain, you are xenophobic. It, it, for, for me, it didn't make sense from the beginning. But the more the minister explains, it, he explains, for me, he explains for those who keep repeating. And those who keep repeating are those who call the station who are not South Africans. Some of them pretend to be South Africans. That, no, South Africans are xenophobic. But if you are going to get stuck on the word xenophobic, xenophobia, it's not going to help. If the, if the pain is there, if, if you've got a wound and there's force in the wound, the wound will remain there if we hide it and say, no, I shouldn't clean it. Therefore, I think we also said we shouldn't uh, change the goal, the goal post. We shouldn't move goalposts. Okay, David. The, the, minister, the minister explained, therefore, it, it makes sense that we, we cannot stay away from the issue because the second question asked was different from that one. But it seems like we're always stuck on this xenophobia. Uh, uh, we, must, we must rectify. So what the minister is doing about the border, I think it's fine. That's okay. good. Let's go ahead. But, but the, the question from the gentleman who says, what should we do to help? Because the people who are on the ground, they know, they see. All right, David. The towns are getting destroyed. Let's leave it there for this morning. Let's leave it there. Uh, David out in Ekuruleni. So that's just a bit of uh, his own commentary. Minister Mutsualedi, I'm going to ask you just to uh, address the questions that our listeners have put to you. If you can, please keep it as brief as possible because I've got a lot more that are waiting. Yes. Uh, Casey, thank you very much. The, the first question from Muzi in KZN. Yes, Muzi, don't report to the police. Every home affairs office, and we've got 412 of them in the country, at the back there of that home affairs office, in the back offices, there, there, there is an immigration officer. There are immigration officials there. The problem with police uh, is not necessarily what Muzi thinks when you say TV general uh, knows. No, it's because many of them 
don't understand immigration laws, they don't even understand papers. I remember during COVID when some people were arrested in a country when they were going to, what do you call, Lesotho. They were handed over to police and they released them because they, they produced some uh, fake documents and police believe these were official documentation. And when immigration officers, they, they recognize them because that's their job. They've been trained for that. So whenever you encounter some of these people uh, uh, who you believe something's wrong, uh, uh, report to the immigration officers. If they don't act, I'm sure, uh, Casey, uh, people, will, you will give them the number of our spokesperson. They can conduct the department there. But uh, because every, I mean, home affairs officers got them, then they will be able to help. Now, the, the gentleman, I forgot his name from Mayor who said it's only Zimbabwe special permit and is asking questions. Katie, when we took a decision, no longer to renew the Zimbabwe special permit and say we are giving people uh, 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 one year, 12 months to apply for other permits. We actually knew their number. They were 178,000. Each one of them was written a letter because when they were given the permit, we had files open for them, even with police clearance from Zimbabwe for each one of them. So we know them. They left addresses there just in case their emails changed. We also used SMSs. From there, we put the letter on the website. Uh, and then we gazetted it. So it was all over. From there, we put adverts in the newspapers. In each of the letters, we have explained everything step by step, what do we need to do, and said if they want to ask questions, we give them an address, I mean, a mail address there. So I'm not going to answer that question. The gentleman must go and look for his email or SMS or go to the website. Everything is explained there. In addition, several organizations and lawyers came here saying they represent them. And we explained to them, the last was the, the, the UCT legal clinic yesterday. We spent about an hour with them in the meeting. Uh, Scalabrini, which is working with, uh, what do you call, with uh, 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 immigrants. We spent about two hours with them some two weeks back explaining all these things. Now, uh, the issue of, I think it's Palesa, uh, who, who complained about fingerprints. I didn't know what she said about fingerprints. She, she was complaining event. about the duplication of identities. Yeah. So yeah, ID yeah. numbers yeah, and, and yeah, she's a yeah. victim. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have found that some of our people in the front offices do not know. Uh, Katie, can you take your details? Can you tell your producer to take the details? Let them bring the matter to us. I can assure you by next week, we'll be telling you the progress, what you do. We know uh, we've met many of those with duplications and uh, we can be able to solve them. Now, the issue of David, uh, the, the, the other lady, Ayesha, in, in Uppington, she was just reprimanding me, and, and I've listened, I've heard. But David, uh, uh, on the issue of xenophobia, Casey, what I forgot to tell you, uh, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, which is the, the international body legally authorized to protect refugees, we have meetings with them all the time. The latest was on Monday. Uh, with the, the country commissioner, who happened to be coming from Zimbabwe. He told me straight on that he agrees with my characterization because he read that article. He actually said every time 
he reports to Geneva and tells them South Africa is not xenophobic, but they are, fi- they are faced with problem A, B, C, uh, uh, which cannot be characterized as xenophobia. So, so he told us that the head of the United Nations, High Commissioner for Refugees, Philippe Grande, he came here in 2019 and said South Africa has got the most progressive uh, uh, immigration and refugee laws, I mean refugee laws, uh, protection laws in the whole world. On the 25th of January, I met with the Deputy Commissioner from Geneva, the Deputy Commissioner for United Nations High Commission for Refugees, who is the Deputy Commissioner for Protection. And, and we outlined some of these things we are doing, and mostly they agreed with us that what we are doing in South Africa is correct, including refusing, by the way, to give birth certificate to children born of foreign parents who are here in South Africa, where we know which country they come from. Uh, we are giving them only a record of birth and not a birth certificate, certificate, rather. And and, and she said, no, that is correct. What you are doing is correct, and the United Nations supporting us on that. So when I say what you are faced with is xenophobia, I, I really strongly believe in that, and the world body also agrees with us. Minister Mutsualedi, ultimately when it comes to these uh, exemptions that we're dealing with and they apply uh, to some they apply to some uh, Zimbabwean citizens, Lesotho uh, citizens and I also um, understand uh, citizens from, from a third country, is it Angola if, I, if I'm not mistaken? So, so when these permits expire what is the plan? Is the plan to deport you know, everybody who was found to not be documented in the way that you described to us earlier? Uh, how are you going to find um, these people if already, uh, as government, you're saying, we don't even know where some of these individuals are, how many of them they might be? Casey, the, the Angolan one was very special. And you might be aware, uh, because of the war between MPLA and UNITA in, in Angola. You might be aware that the United Nations announced publicly uh, that the war is over. Angolans who came here as refugees can go back home. That was an, is usually announced by the United Nations. Whenever a war is over, it's not us. Some went back home. Others said, no, we are, we are settled here in South Africa and we must be uh, uh, apply for permanent residence and all that. And they were considered, there were 1,600. Now, the Zimbabweans uh, who applied for the Zimbabwe Special Clinic, at the moment, the, the ones who have got in our files, when it was renewed for the third time in 2017, were 178,000. We are not saying go back home. We are saying this was a special dispensation. KC, the special dispensation means that you are given a documentation outside the normal immigration and refugee laws. They were not following the normal immigration refugee law. It was a sort of a favor. We are now saying we are withdrawing that. Go and apply under the normal immigration laws, uh, uh, which are there in terms of the Immigration Act of 2002 or the Refugee Act of 1998. That's what we are telling them. Only after failing to do that is then that we get deported. Like it always happens now, even now. When we deport people, it's not because we just grab them and say we are illegal. They go through a process, and they even go through the legal process where the judge or a magistrate must confirm that, yes, this person gets to be deported. So it's a legal process, really.